Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I dare say you are wondering why I am floating around London like this. I am on the famous Thames River, investigating a murder. Rivers can be very sinister places. And in my new film, Frenzy, this river, you may say, was the scene of a very horrible murder. It's a woman! Another necktie murder. Of course, one can never be sure where danger lurks. They tell me a dreadful crime was committed right in this building. My investigation next led me to this innocent alley, of which there are hundreds in London. But I don't think we should stay long. Something unpleasant is about to happen. another horrible murder. This is the famous London wholesale fruit and vegetable market, Covent Garden. Here you may buy the fruits of evil and the horrors of vegetables. I've heard of a leg of lamb, a leg of chicken, but never a leg of potatoes. How do you like my tie? How do you like it? My God. The tie. Welcome to Horror vs. Reality. 
I'm your host, Anastasia, as always. And Morgan is usually with me, uh, except that one time that she wasn't. Hi, Mo. Hi. You can hear me now, right? I can hear you now. <laughs> Good. Just another day in the life of podcasting and <laughs> audio issues. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, and today's guest is Allie. Allie, would you like to tell our audience why they should know you? Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Allie. I um, am a sometime contributor to the Swamplix blog and um, most of the time contributor to the Swamplix Lanyap po- podcast. Uh, yeah, it is a film blog and review site based out of South Louisiana, even though I don't live there anymore, but it's uh that's that's where you know me if you're one of our 25 listeners <laughs> yay so that's how we know ali um I, welcome ali hi ali through a uh, fellow guest on the show trent from the um the bloody buddies podcast uh did you know him in like real life because you're both from yes. louisiana <laughs> yes, I I did know Trent in real life. So is he still in Korea? He is still in Korea. Yeah. Shout yes. out to Trent in Korea. I hope you find another job placement. Hope you're oh. like in Seoul. Yeah, I hope so too. You know, if you follow him on Facebook, uh, I'm pretty sure it's just been some ups and downs. But I'm not going to get into his personal life on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, hi Trent. Uh, okay, so today's episode is Hitchcock's Frenzy, widely considered to be the last great movie that he did, essentially. I mean, he didn't do, he only did like, I think, one more film after this anyway. So this was almost his last film, and his last actually good film. <laughs> uh, so Morgan, what'd you think about the movie? I liked it. Me too. Um, even a little though, mystery side. Yeah, well, even though the, the most um, shocking scene goes on for a really long time, uh, I still found it, like, oddly compelling and enjoyable. Yeah. And, it I, was, and I don't was... feel misogynistic for saying that. <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, that scene was uh, extremely, I I guess because of the era and, you know, because of how censored a lot of those British slasher films were, I was not expecting it to be so graphic and so long. Um, but I did find the movie really good um, and pretty interesting. I didn't. I don't feel misogynistic for saying that either, especially since, you know, everyone in it is a little bit awful, except for the women. <laughs> uh, so, and in the movie, uh, I was thinking that um, that scene, honestly, it, so that scene is possible because about two years before it was made, the... Uh, censorship law- laws in uh, the UK lax a bit. 
And so that's the first one that he ever did that got an 18 plus rating in the UK and an R in America. It's the only Hitchcock movie that's rated R. I didn't and know so, that. It is. And so he, you know, he took full advantage of being able to get away with a little more. It's by far his most graphic film. And he's not a, really a director that makes graphic films, honestly. Yeah, I watched um, a weird version of it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it was... Uh, oh, my God. She she did um, late night... Um, it was like late night film reviews. Misty Brew. Hmm. Never heard uh, the Creature Feature. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. It just kept cutting to her and, like, a fan that said she won a lookalike contest. And they did not look alike at all. Um, okay. And it was, like, cheesy. <laughs> it was so cheesy. And they were talking about just... So, <laughs> was she, like, a small potatoes YouTuber trying to be, like... Elvira and Joe Bob rolled into one. Yeah, but it's not on. Um, it's just free on YouTube. Um, Misty well, sure. Brew was it's like just, in the eighties. Like, I was gonna say it. I think it just sounds like one of those like local. Yeah, one of those hosts. like local access. Yes. Yeah, because New Orleans, New Orleans had Morgus, so I don't know. I don't know where Misty is from, but. Uh, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah, during the 70s and 80s, there were so many of those sub public access channels. Yeah, she was part of the KBSI TV of Cape Gardo, Cape Gardo, Missouri. I have no idea, but yeah, shout out to Misty Brew for hosting nice. this movie on YouTube. <laughs> Did we talk about Elvira last episode? I have no idea. All all these episodes roll together for me. Okay, if not, um, so Elvira came out of the closet. Yeah, I was going to say, Elvira just came out. It was so exciting. Oh, really? She's been with the same lady for 19 years in secret. Oh, well, good for her for coming yeah, out. She's out and proud now. And all the all the memes on the internet were, how could someone keep that a secret that they're dating Elvira for almost 20 years? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, uh, I'd be bragging for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm with Cassandra Peterson, Elvira. Woo! Yeah, I would, I would be shouting that from the rooftops, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's 70 and she's still hot. She's totally still hot. She's rocking it. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Absolutely. Like, both as herself and in the Elvira getup. She's gorgeous either way. Yeah, definitely. Good All right. Yeah, I watched a copy that I obtained somehow. <laughs> I checked out a DVD from maybe one of the only still available like video rental stores. So, I know. Uh, shout out to Movie Madness in Portland for having so much Hitchcock. Oh, that's cool. I love those, like, niche, like, horror buff or film buff just owned little 
hipster movie rental places like that. Yeah. There's, there's one in Atlanta called Videodrome that's amazing. And I have a picture of myself in my Videodrome the movie shirt. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's my favorite photo of myself, except for the fact that I kind of look like a potato. But other than that, a black potato. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was was really sad when a video fan from Richmond closed down because it it was super cool. It was it was like what you're talking about, little niche hole in the wall. They had all these like foreign sections, like horror movie sections, and they had an entire uh, Hitchcock section. I mean, all the directors were in, like, the back. And you could also buy porn if you wanted to. Hey, hey. Yeah. (laughs) Movie Madness is also um, kind of a prop and costume museum. It's wild. Um, Oh, Oh, that's really cool. It's so cool. And it, a couple years back, um, the owner was selling it. And everybody was like, no, don't close. Um, and our local, like, 100-year-old slash, like, nonprofit theater thing bought it. And it was very exciting for everybody because it is here to stay. And they just oh, put, like, oh, a screening awesome. room, like, in the back. Ah, um, oh, that's so, so dope. If anybody comes to Portland, you got to go visit it. It's amazing. I'd be like doing that. And then I'd like to say that I wouldn't be touristy, but I would definitely probably go to Voodoo Donuts because I love stopping at niche donut places in big cities. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of great, great donut places too. Just saying. So it's funny. There's a lot of great donut places in the other Portland on the other coast as well. Oh, that's great. I'll have yeah. to check it out. I've been wanting to go just to have been in both. I took a personal holiday by myself a couple of years ago to Portland. Uh, it was before New York legalized marijuana. So I took a pot vacation to Maine, checked into a hotel room, had pot delivered to me, pizza delivered to me, lobster delivered to me. Where is this? Portland, Maine. Oh, Portland, Maine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, Not I Portland, just, Oregon. Yeah, and I just got you could still you could do the same yeah. thing here minus yeah. the lobster. The, the <laughs> sure, lobster but Portland, Maine, I yeah. could drive too easily, and it would take me days to drive to Oregon. So was yes. it like a live I was lobster? Say. They gave you a live lobster? No, I ordered a lobster <laughs> roll from like a local hotspot. Ah. I thought yeah. you would be, like, friends with it first. Introduce no, I yourself. just, like, grub-hubbed it. And then <laughs> the next day, I walked into the city and just went to a local donut shop for breakfast. See, if it was a live lobster, you could have taken him to the donut shop. Just get to know him first, take him out. Before I eat him? <laughs> yeah. Give him a good time before. I mean, Morgan, I never saw his face. They had him chopped up on a delicious roll <laughs> with butter. <laughs> Stranger Lobsters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, gang. Let's get into the film. Uh, 1972's Frenzy. As always, I'm going to tell you a little bit about members of the cast, but not the whole cast, because I just don't have time for that. Uh, The main uh, leads, I guess you can say, is who I'm going to highlight. And then, obviously, a little bit about Hitchcock himself, and then we'll get into the summary. 
All right, so I'm going to keep the Hitchcock explanation minimal because I could do a three-part episode on Hitchcock alone. Like, I found myself having to stop and just say, you know, you don't have time to write a 10-page essay on Hitchcock for the podcast. You could write a paragraph or two and leave it at that. I had to contain myself. <laughs> um, so... Hitchcock is a British film director, for those who aren't familiar. He worked primarily in horror, but also thrillers and dramas. His films include Psycho, The Birds, North by Northwest, Vertigo, and Rear Window, among many others. He had a really long film career from the late 20s all the way until his last film in 1975. Um, or six. It's one of those. I'm not positive. I just know it's a few years after Frenzy. Um. <clears throat> so, uh, he had a very specific attention to detail in his direction and was considered demanding, especially by his female leads, who often reported to having been terrorized by him on set um, and having terrorizing experiences, just like long, grueling, punishing sets and, um, yeah, him yeah. just being kind of callous and cruel. I was going to say, Tippi Hedron had, like, a... Hedron, sorry, oh my gosh. Tippi Hedron had, like, a fear of birds for a very long time after filming The Birds. As did everyone (laughs) after they saw that movie for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I have um, this list of potential cat names, and Tippi Hedron is on there, just so (laughs) she can finally get revenge on the birds. (laughs) <laughs> I love that if you don't name your next cat to be Hedron I'm going to be upset <laughs> have to do it now yeah, yeah. I, was, I was terrified yeah. of that movie and I think my mom made it worse by uh, asking me to go get grapes out of I mean not grapes plums out of her plum tree where there's mockingbird nests. Oh no. And oh, if no. anyone has ever been around a mockingbird, like fuck those birds. They, they are, are evil. Yes. Yeah, there's like a, a somewhere. I don't all of my childhood videos went away, but my mom got the camera out and filmed me and my best friend uh going like holding hands going to the plum tree and then like we get attacked by the birds and we're crying coming back she's like no go out there again and like we keep doing it and then we just have a meltdown yeah it was oh, really no. funny <laughs> you know, Morgan, you i know guess we went... i'm sorry uh, morgan you know where we went to college yeah okay so in front of the building that has the security office and the mailroom in it yeah where you you were no you're my mother yeah. Uh, I don't mind saying that because I didn't say what the college is. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so my mother worked there. Once uh, well, she would walk to her car, like out the front where you're first coming into the campus, uh, there was a mockingbird nest and it would dive bomb people's heads. Yeah. They're jerks. <laughs> they're assholes. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be so scared to go out to the plum trees because my mom would be like, go out to the plum trees, give us some plums. I'm like, God damn, no. No, they're going to attack me. Fuck those birds. Yeah, you could see, like, my hair. I remember in the video, like, my hair. You could see them grabbing my hair. <laughs> oh, dick. Sounds like you were raised by someone very influenced by Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she loved Hitchcock. We watched the movies all the time. And birds really freaked me out when I was a kid. 
and true crime and horror in general, like your mom was all into that stuff. Oh yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. She'd read those to me for sleep. Yeah. So you had your mom <laughs> and I had my dad showing, that, showing me all the weird, like early experimental David Lynch films and shit. <laughs> so here's how we ended up with this podcast yeah. right there. <laughs> huh. Okay, so um, apart from his legendary film career, he also had two classic TV shows, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Both shows were weekly anthologies in the same format as The Twilight Zone, but um, both aired more in the suspense genre than sci-fi. Hitchcock also liked to give himself small cameos in all of his films. Uh, later, trying to find Hitchcock's cameos in his films would become a game of sorts for film buffs. Uh, Hitchcock's cameo in Frenzy occurs. I was going to say, I saw it. It's like really early on. Yeah, it occurs about three minutes into the film, shortly after the opening credits. Uh, it's as Sir George, played by John Boxer, uh, espouses the virtues of a clean river. Hitchcock can be seen in the crowd wearing a bowler hat, and <laughs> unlike the majority of the crowd, Hitchcock does not applaud the speaker. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he looks very the- Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, he's very Hitchcock. Go back to the, like the watch the first like five minutes or so, and you'll and just look for it, like look out into the crowd. Okay, so we'll talk about the cast now. John Finch as Richard Blaney. Um, he was an English stage and film actor who became well-known for his Shakespearean roles. Uh, most notably, he starred in films for director Roman Polanski, uh, Macbeth in 1971, and Hitchcock in uh, Frenzy. Uh, he was offered the role of James Bond in Live and Let Die, but he turned it down. And then the role <laughs> went to Roger Moore. Damn. Uh, he yeah. fucked up. He did. He actually was also cast in the original Kane as the original Kane in Alien, but had to drop out due to a severe diabetic episode, and thus he was replaced oh, by John. No. Oh, God. He's a, he had some bad wow. luck. Wow. So yeah. much like his character in the movie, he's just yeah, <laughs> an unlucky person. He could have been far more famous and like notable in people's minds if these things hadn't happened. So those movies went on to be you know, really popular and people still watch them today. I've yeah. watched Alien probably 50 times. No shame. My cat, <laughs> of is, named, my cat is named after Ripley's cat. <laughs> Just saying. Jonesy. Uh, yes, I have a Jonesy and he's beautiful. And I'm not going to talk about him too much on the podcast. Because <laughs> um, then we're just getting way too off topic. And I mean, we do that anyway. Okay, so um, Barry Foster as Bob Rusk. He was an English actor who had an extensive career in film, radio, and stage, uh, as well as television that spanned almost 50 years. Uh, he was probably best known for playing the title character in the British crime series Vandermolk uh, from 1972 to 1992, and Bob Rusk and Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. Uh, Anna Massey, CBE, as Babs Milligan. She won a BAFTA for the role of Edith Hope in the 1986 TV adaptation of Anita Bruckner's novel Hotel du Lac, a role that one of her co-stars, Julia McKenzie, has said could have been written for her. Um, 
She was also known for her extensive preparations for her roles. She was said to have a complex highlighting system for her scripts, like multiple colors. And then, you know, uh, one example was if, say, she saw a quote that referred to something else further in the script, they would both have their own special color, like that detailed. Wow. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She was also known for her really distinctive uh, cut glass British accent. Uh, Other film roles of Massey's include Helen Stevens and the 1960s cult classic Peeping Tom. Yeah, I thought I thought she was in that. Yeah. Same lady. Uh, Mrs. Shrike in 2004's The Machinist, starring Christian Bale, as well as many others, she had a long and varied career, much like Barry Foster. Uh, Alec McCallan as Chief Inspector Oxford. Although working in film, television, and theater, his great love throughout his life was always the stage. He appeared on Broadway nine times and garnered three Tony Awards, although he never won. His last film appearance was a small role in Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York in 2004. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Barbie Lee Hunt as Brenda Margaret Blaney, the poor woman who is in the infamous scene. Uh, a British act- <laughs> she's a British actress, or uh, I think she's still alive. She's a British actress. Her numerous theater credits include Broadway productions of Hamlet and Sherlock Holmes. She also won the 1993... Olivier Award for Best Supporting Actress for the National Theater Production of An Inspector Calls. Her film appearances include Frenzy, Henry VIII and His Six Wives, Bequest to the Nation, and Billy Elliot. Uh, Of her time on the set of Frenzy, Lee Hunt has said that Hitchcock was kind to her and that she wasn't treated poorly the way past actresses like Tippi Hedren, who started Hitchcock's The Birds, reported. She also said... He liked that she got his peculiar sense of humor. He referred to dramatic pauses as dog feet. I actually kind of like, I would think that's sort of cute. Like feetsies, pauses. Oh. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it's, it's cute, right? It's kind of cute. I like it. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the film. All right. We start on a sweeping, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Wow, brain went dead. (laughs) (laughs) A sweeping shot of London, you know, panoramic. We're seeing Piccadilly Circus, uh, just a big shot of the Thames. Um, So it's set in early 1970s, and the plot centers on a serial killer that is terrorizing London by raping and then strangling women with a necktie. Uh, Richard Blaney, a recently discharged squadron leader of the RAF, which that stands for Royal Air Force, gets fired from his job as a bartender in a pub near Convent Garden. By the way, his boss just fucking hates him, and it seems like he didn't really do too much wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's his like, boss you know, I always play for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His boss just fucking hates his guts. Um, he laments his loss with his friend, Bob Rusk, who runs a fruit stand. Rusk consoles him by giving him some grapes and a tip on an upcoming horse race. But Blaney doesn't have any money to bet, so he's not he's not able to go and bet. And the horse does win, and he's, like, so distraught about it. Uh, also, 
Rusk is immediately creepy. He keeps saying to call him like Uncle Bob or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's I didn't like that. It's really weird. Yeah, he's creepy immediately. Um, I did like his fashion sense though. He did have. He was uh, yeah. a sharp dressed man. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, so Blaney goes to visit his ex-wife, Brenda, who runs a successful matchmaking agency. Um, He complains pretty loudly about his whole situation, and Brenda is embarrassed, so she sends her secretary out for lunch and kind of shuts the door. Um, And he just kind of rants a little bit, and nothing really bad happens. At one point, he bangs his fist on the desk. And it startles the secretary. Like, she has this look on her face like, did she just, did he just hit her? But he didn't. Like, like they're having a fairly civilized conversation despite him raising his voice. Uh, so, yeah, basically, the secretary and him don't get along. And uh, it doesn't go well for him later <laughs> because of this. Okay, so... Uh, he complains and everything, and shortly after he leaves, uh, Rusk comes into the agency. Uh, he has been turned away by the agency multiple times because of his creepy sexual proclivities. And, uh, he's complaining that they can't find him anyone. Uh, Brenda's there alone, and, you know, he sees her just there alone, and he immediately takes advantage of the situation. And he rapes her and then strangles her with his necktie. And then we are, it's revealed that he is indeed the necktie murderer. This scene goes on for a really long time. I didn't time it, but it's just a unblinking look at him strangling her. And her breasts, well, there's a scene where her breasts are exposed. Uh, It is not actually the actress. In fact, um, Barbara Lee Hunt, in talking about this with the BBC a few years back, basically he told her that the set was going to be closed that day, and she's like, oh, well, why? Oh, well, we're filming your murder today. Oh, okay. Um, how do you feel about uh, having your breasts exposed? I don't feel good about it. I don't like it at all. And then so they had to get a body double. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people thought those were her boobs. They were not her boobs. Body double. She did not want her boobs in uh, the big screen. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I get it, man. Uh, yeah. I'm a modest lady. I'm not trying to advertise my boobs either. I think uh, I'd show my boobs. For I, more money. I have seniors <laughs> with just paint on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did body paint for a little bit. (laughs) I I think it would depend on the director. Like, I don't know if I would show Hitchcock my boobs. Uh, Does that make any sense? Right. (laughs) I might might whip my tits out for David Finch. (laughs) I might whip them out for David Fincher. Uh, I might whip them out for Darren Aronofsky. I would not whip mine out for uh, Michael Bay. No, not Michael Bay. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't get them. It no. Would happen, I would whip him out for Gus Van Zant too. 
Oh, those would be sad, depressing boobs. Yeah, those are sad sad boobs. They would be sad boobs for sure. They would be be part of art. And plus, he's gay, so it wouldn't be, like, leering. It's true. True. I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, John Waters. I'd pop him out with John Waters. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just realizing that I would not even have to ask, right? A few directors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you just like show up to the like rehearsal or whatever or like the the call for actors or whatever and you just show your boobs <laughs> no. this is for you <laughs> you show up and you have a pink flamingo painted on either one <laughs> i think he'd appreciate it i think he would too he'd probably yeah. hire you on the spot i mean maybe you know you know what john waters if for some reason you're listening, I was literally in Baltimore this past weekend. Glad <laughs> <laughs> you didn't what? see him. I got drunk at a wedding. It was fantastic. We'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh boy. All right. So after Rusk leaves, uh, Blaney arrives, hoping to visit his wife Brenda again. But he finds her office locked and gets no response when he calls her name. Uh, the secretary returning from lunch sees Blaney leaving. When the murder is discovered, Blaney naturally becomes the number one suspect. It's worth noting here that the secretary, like I just said, the secretary and Blaney don't care for each other. She thinks him a brute and she completely misinterprets the earlier conversation. Also in there, in between the scene where she gets killed at her office, and him first meeting they actually do go out like for dinner so i kind of just left that part out but it does play in there later um i just yeah i just kind of kind of forgot that but anyway it's fine um so uh like i said the secretary uh returns from lunch and sees blaney leaving immediately you know he's the murderer uh she thinks i'm a brute she completely misinterprets the earlier conversation between Blaney and his ex-wife um, from the day before. And um, she immediately morphs this interaction to uh, having led to the murder. Uh, Blaney meets up with Barbara Babs Milligan, who is his former co-worker at the pub. We see her earlier in the pub scene when he gets fired. She's also his current lover. And uh, he convinces her that he's innocent and that there's no way he could have killed his ex-wife um the two visit a hotel where they make love and they narrowly dodge the police they appeal to one of blaney's raf buddies for help but the man's wife refuses to let him harbor a fugitive from justice um they do kind of let him stay there for a little bit but as soon as he looks more and more guilty she basically just throws him out and she's a real bitch about it, honestly. Yeah, like, she is. Like, he literally yeah. has nowhere to go. And she's like, I don't give a shit. You probably did it. They gave her evidence that he didn't do it. And she's like, no, you did it. She was bitch. Yeah. Yeah, they gave <laughs> him an alibi. Yeah. Like, they're, they were his alibi. And she's like, no, you did it. I mean, bitch, I was right here next to you. But okay. <laughs> I totally did it, right? Mm, arrest me. Uh, yeah, so... His former co-worker at the pub... Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm i fucking up. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I keep losing my place in my notes. Okay, so 
Um, he then persuades Babs to get his belongings that he had left at the pub. Um, I guess he only has a few things here and there because there is a scene where you see him literally like sleeping at a homeless shelter. So I guess the only shit he owned was at the pub. So she gets his stuff so that he can escape. Um, and there Babs runs into Rusk who uh, offers to let her use his flat for the night. Uh, mistake accepting that Babs. Um, but I'm not victim blaming. I'm just saying like you had no idea. Unfortunately, you just agreed to stay at the killer's house. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, like, no, don't do it. Like, and she was like my favorite character. I'm like, no, sweet baby, don't do it. Don't go with him. Don't. I I don't know. I think it's some weird bar regular. It was like, hey, you can stay at my place. I, I'd be a little. Yeah, that's I would a never hot do, I would, no. I, would, yeah. I would never do that. Like, never. No. Uh, I mean, yeah, just never in a million years would I just go home with some guy that, like, kind of is friends with the guy I'm fucking. No. Yeah, and, like, hotels are super, hotels were cheap back then. She could just get, like, a one room without a bathroom and be fine. Yeah, I don't know. That was a mistake to do what she did. But anyway. Um, so, he, after he leads her there, he rapes and murders her. He hides her body in a sack and stows it in the back of a lorry which is what the brits call like a um 18 wheeler type truck um this is not that big but it's a truck that hauls things but anyway um and what does it haul well they're hauling potatoes 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 (laughs) Uh, i'm going to not sing the youtube song for the rings um potatoes (laughs) You, it's in your head. I know it is. It is. Boil and mash and cinnamon stew. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. He stuffs her body in a truck that's hauling potatoes. So, back in his room, he discovers that uh, his distinctive tie pin that's, like, jeweled and has his name on it, or his initial, it's missing. And he realizes that Babs must have torn it off of him while he was strangling her. But he knows that that pen would immediately incriminate him, so he has to go get it from the truck. Uh, so, yeah, he catches up to the truck and sneaks into the back. And this is an interesting, long scene. <laughs> I oh. really like this scene. Yeah, I liked scene. it, too. It's this long, bumpy ride. He's, like, struggling to get to which sack she's in, struggles to open it, potatoes fall out. Uh, at one point, someone stops him and tells him that the potatoes are falling out, but he just, like, shuts the back and doesn't really investigate. Uh, and then he does find her hand and manages to pull it, but he has to literally break every finger on her hand to drag the pin out because rigor mortis has set in so much. Mm-hmm. It's rough. <laughs> it's a, yeah, so, like, it's a rough break. scene, and the whole time you're just like, oh, somebody catch this creep. You yeah, Surely, so this bad. is where he messes up. You would think so. It seems like the kind of place where you just get trapped and then you get discovered. But no, that slimy bastard escapes with the pin in hand. 
Yeah, I like uh, how he like <laughs> when they're when he's breaking rigor mortis with her fingers, that popping sound. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like someone snapping their fingers. That was, was like, quite a sound effect. <laughs> I, I, you know what? That is probably what's happening. It's probably just someone snapping their fingers in front of a microphone. Because if you've yeah. ever seen the people that do the sound effects, they do all kinds of shit to make sounds. Oh, yeah, they have like fun so... objects and stuff. I know, it's so interesting. I love watching videos on that. Me too. Um, yeah, so he's disheveled and he's covered in potato dust. So when he gets out, he stops at a roadside cafe and manages to return to his flat at uh, Covent Garden. Um, when Babs' body is discovered in the truck, uh, Blaney is suspected for her murder as well as Brenda's, because, I mean... He was fucking one lady and used to be married to the other. It's, like, not a big leap. Um, so he looks really fucking guilty at this point. <laughs> it sucks. Because he's totally innocent. He's just a down-on-his-luck dude. He's just a down-on-his-luck veteran that's getting the shit in. Yeah, uh, he... I just... It was kind of a, okay, what else is going to happen to this poor guy? <laughs> what yeah. else is going to happen? Yeah, there's a movie, um, I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me right now, but it stars um, Michael Douglas, and basically his marriage is falling apart, and it's just him, like, the car breaks down, and he spends the whole movie, like, walking across the city. I think it's called Falling Down. Oh, I was going to say, are you talking about Falling Down? Yes, it's Falling Down. That movie is wild yeah it's just like the worst day of one man's life <laughs> trying to get home and uh so. that's sort of what this reminds me of but not as um not as i would expensive. say this character is uh maybe even more sympathetic uh <laughs> yeah because there's some some complicated things about michael Douglas's yeah character. but we're not gonna get into that that's yeah we're not we're, we're not talking about falling down um yeah I'm glad that you knew what I'm talking about. Excellent. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Anna. (laughs) Morgan, that's why we got another film buff. Yes. Not you. You're here every week. You're the true crime half. (laughs) We love you. Yeah. I I was thinking uh, North by Northwest because, you know, um, I mean, that is another character in that movie just goes through so many so many unlucky things yeah you know that's that's another movie about a man having a bad couple days (laughs) uh it could be a a film festival genre i'll just make a list of movies of men having bad days (laughs) okay so rusk uh blaney runs into rusk um he doesn't know that rusk is the murderer and he just turns to him for help because he doesn't have anyone else now. The two women in his life are dead, and uh, everyone thinks he killed them. So Rusk offers to hide Blaney at his flat, but he immediately turns around behind his back and tips off the police. Uh, in the face of this treachery, uh, Blaney realizes that Rusk is obviously the murderer. And at the trial, the jury finds Blaine, Blaney guilty. But during the trial and while being led away to prison, he loudly protests that he is innocent and that Rusk is the real killer. Mm -hmm. Now, Chief Inspector Oxford, played by Alec McCallan, 
reconsiders the evidence and quietly begins to investigate Rusk. He discusses the case with his wife, Vivian Merchant. Uh, oh, I try- love her. She's great. She's like giving her two cents and trying to help him solve the crimes. And I was gonna say she from the beginning was like, no, it's not that guy. Yeah, she was on his side, and she's also like she's been taking an exotic cooking course and she's been feeding him some gross stuff that he really doesn't like. And you see him like spit it into napkins and stuff and choke it down. Like, he's trying to be a good husband, but he's not having a good time. <laughs> also, her pronouncing tequila as tequila. Um, <laughs> I, I specifically that so wrote that down and underlined it. I was like, tequila. <laughs> right? I, I love this hilarious. woman so much. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> uh, she's living her best life, for sure. <laughs> I like how so, she's, like, cooking all this fancy yeah. French shit. She loves it. She's not good at it, but she's having a great time. Yeah. So Blaney's now in prison, and he vows to escape and avenge himself on Rusk. You see him getting, like, walked down the stairs, and he deliberately, like, falls down and, like, dislocates his shoulder or something. Um, And is taken to the hospital where his fellow inmates, they, like, all band together and help him to escape, which is kind of like, thanks, bro. <laughs> You guys would be yeah. bros. Uh, they help him escape the locked ward. He goes to Rusk's flat, um, and he finds that Rusk is not there. But, unfortunately, there's another dead woman in his bed with the necktie still around her neck. And he's like, oh, shit. Especially because Inspector Oxford uh, comes in, like, right behind him. And he's like, he's just got this look on his face like, I didn't do this, I swear. But also, I, I shit. I know this looks bad because I'm broken out of jail and I'm in this guy's apartment and there's a dead body. And uh, I have this huge metal bar. Yeah, I've got like a crowbar or something in my hand. It's not great. It looks bad. I know this looks bad. <laughs> um, but the it's like the inspector knows that he didn't do this and that he, he has been a little one step ahead of Blaney. He kind of knew that Blaney must have injured himself. Like, the reason why he's here is because he thinks this is where Blaney is going. Um, so he kind of puts a finger over his mouth, like, shh. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rusk comes in and doesn't know that they're there immediately. But then he looks up and he sees Blaney. And then uh, just, uh, uh, he's dragging a large trunk, by the way. Presumably another body. Uh, Oxford reveals himself, Riley shakes his head at the trapped Rusk, and then remarks, Mr. Rusk, you're not wearing your tie. Da, da, da. Uh, so he's caught. Uh, roll film. A satisfying conclusion. Presumably, they, are t- they do mention it, that Blaney's going to get exonerated, probably, if they catch Rusk. And so, you know, aside from the fact that more than those two women that we saw were murdered, but those are the ones we have connections to, aside from the murders, you know, it mildly ends on a happy ending. Kind of. Kind of. Almost. You know, you catch the murderer and the uh, the poor innocent guy who's all been pinned on is uh, presumably set free. So, that's, that's just Cox's frenzy. And for all the hubbub around it, uh, you know, 
there was a lot of controversy at the time. <laughs> uh, a lot of people calling him misogynistic and all this. I don't think it's that bad. I've seen far worse. Not for the time necessary. You know what? No. For the 70s, I've seen far worse. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say Cannibal Psycho. Holocaust. Psycho is worse, I feel like, is more misogynistic, even. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, there's, I there's like definitely. a deep hatred between him and his mother, for sure. Um, and I mean, we've we've done an episode on Ed Gein before, so. Yeah. Which is definitely what Psycho's, like, based on, so. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, man, so, yeah, that's frenzy. Would you guys like to add anything? Um, as far as the title and, um, all of that goes, I really enjoyed that it wasn't clear whether or not it was referring to a killing frenzy or a media frenzy, because the whole time throughout this whole movie, this is all everybody is talking about. There's so many newspapers just flying here and there and everybody's speculating yeah, you see just... shots of people talking about who it could be, and they actually mention John Christie at the beginning, which yeah. is, by, by the way, who we are talking about today. Yeah, John I forgot Christie, to write that down. Yes. John Christie is who Morgan will be telling us about in a bit. Um, but yeah, they do mention him at the very beginning, along with Jack the Ripper. Yeah, did y'all watch the version where it's like, I guess they're all like this, but with uh, Hitchcock at the beginning explaining the movie. Yes. yes. Uh, no, actually, I did not. Oh, you oh, didn't get to see this that? DVD what? did not have that. Oh, that, that is unfortunate. You were robbed of a classic, hilarious Hitchcock intro. Oh, my God. It is yes. hilarious. I have, to, <laughs> um, I have to find it now. Morgan, would you like to describe it to her? Yes, please. <laughs> Well, Alfred Hitchcock is floating in the Thames River on his back and is talking about this murder. And then he's talking about how, uh, like, that part is misogynistic to me. That yeah. the whole beginning is him, sure. like, degrading the women. And and then he says, and like, making when their he, murders kind of about himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like the scene where he's he said, you know a fruit salesman or a vegetable salesman in the market, you're, you're expecting to find potatoes, but never have I ever found a, a leg of potatoes. <laughs> I think I'm getting it all wrong. He says maybe a like leg that. of lamb, but a leg of potatoes. And then there's like a leg that shoots out of a potato bag and he has to shove it back down in there. I should have worked on my Alfred Hitchcock impression for this. I don't really have one in mind, locked and loaded. He but I would like, like to. This and the potatoes. <laughs> really bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's okay, Morgan. <laughs> oh, but um, you have so to I'm watch it. Give... Oh, what's that? I was yeah, just I'm... saying, you just have to watch this. You can type in a trailer of Frenzy, and I think it pops up. It does. Um, I'm going to find this. I'm also going to have what exactly what he says from the trailer, because, you know, I put trailers in the front. Uh, yeah, um, and I completely butchered it. So. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so if you're listening to this right now, you've already heard the trailer before we were talking about this. So now you're now you're uh, caught up. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna list some trivia off. That's just some fun facts. Um, so Alfred Hitchcock's daughter Patricia Hitchcock found this film so disturbing that she wouldn't allow her children to see it for a long, long time. Um, his shooting schedule allowed filming to begin at 8 a.m. and finish at 6 p.m. every day while on location in Covent Garden in London. Uh, one day during filming, Hitchcock was in the middle of finishing a take when a union representative showed up to inform him that it was 6.15 and that they had to stop filming. Hitchcock... <laughs> Hitchcock became furious and threatened to walk off the set and film the movie back in Hollywood. After that, no more union representatives were allowed on the set. Damn. Um, yeah, so originally when he came to them with this movie, um, the, the execs, you know, they were like, well, actually, you know, it's cool that you want to do this kind of sensational story and you want to film it in London. All right, we'll let you do that. It's going to be cheaper. Go ahead. Um, sounds good. And it would have been a whole fiasco for him to go back to Hollywood. So, yeah, they weren't going to fuck with that. Uh, this was the first movie that, like I was just saying, this is the first movie that he actually shot in Britain since The Man Who Knew Too Much back in 1956. Uh, so he's been filming in Hollywood for some years at this point. Um, like I... Uh, so, oh! His first choice to play Barbara Babs Milligan was actually Dame Helen Mirren. Huh. Um, wow. Yeah, but she met with him um, and talked to him about it, but then ended up ultimately turning down the role, and uh, she really regretted it later on. Uh, but she did end up playing Hitchcock's wife, Alma, in the 2012 biography, biographical picture, Hitchcock, that right. HBO did. Nice. Um, I love Helen Mirren. Yeah, she's Who beautiful. Who doesn't? She's so pretty, like still. Yeah. Like she's yes, an older woman that's just ageless. <laughs> she's gorgeous, and she was such, she was such a looker when she was younger too, though. Oh yeah. Like I'm yeah. not trying mm-hmm. to objectify like, Helen Mirren here, but well, I have a girl crush on young Helen Mirren. Same. Same. <laughs> and old Helen yeah. Mirren. Damn. Yes, I have yeah. a girl crush Both of you. On Every season of Helen Mirren. So this was cut from um, the film by the use by the urging of Universal. But originally he had a close up of Barbara Lee Hunt's character, uh, Blaney's ex-wife. Salivating her tongue after she is strangled. Uh, (laughs) Just like a really extreme close up of her tongue sticking out. And you do see her tongue sticking out still in the shot. Like, it looks comical, honestly. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was such a shocking scene. And then you see that and you, like, can't help but laugh. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It really kind of cheapened it. It did a a little bit. I didn't. I thought that was a weird choice. I agree. Um, I think it was like the Hitchcock, you know, flavor. I guess. It seemed, yeah, it seemed cheap, I think. Um, so Arthur Laburn later expressed his dissatisfaction with Anthony Schaefer's adaptation of his book, 
Although he'd heard negotiations were underway to film his book, the author only learned about Alfred Hitchcock's active involvement on reading about it in The Times in January 1971. He benefited from this movie, however, when his book was reissued as Frenzy, uh, as a tie-in. And his book is Goodbye Piccadilly Circus, Goodbye something else. Goodbye Thames, maybe? It's, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, that's the movie that it's based on. So it's based, or I mean, that's the book that it's based on. So the book, it's based on the book, it's based on Jack the Ripper, and it's based on John Christie. But we don't have time to smush all that into one episode. I mean, this episode will probably run long as it is. Um, well, because our episodes kind of always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our thing. <laughs> that's our thing. We have long episodes, but they're like details. And you love it. That's why you keep coming back. Yeah, come back That's why you're more. listening right now. <laughs> Unless it's your first time. Then I'm just being creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to take a short break, and then Morgan is going to tell us about John Christie. Yeah, that fucking pervert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's... Got he's proclivities. Actually, he has proclivities, indeed. Yeah, you can call it that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you soon. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I left off one thing that I definitely wanted to talk about, and I forgot, and now I'm going to mention it before Morgan starts. So we need to talk about one of the bar patrons in Frenzy who kept talking about how that guy was definitely probably guilty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, was making a big fuss and definitely seemed to just hate um, our main character, Blaney. Um, So that actor is Bernard Cribbins. And if you think he looks familiar, like you might have seen a face in the bar that looked familiar, but you just couldn't quite place it. Age him up like 34 years there give or take a few years and he's Donna Noble's grandfather on Doctor Who oh do you know what I'm talking about now yeah I just looked up his name yeah I know who you're talking about yeah by the way the way that he feels at the end of Donna's time on the show but the tears that he cries I've I don't know that I've sobbed harder yeah, that that part that hurt. Man, that man shows emotion like no one's business. <laughs> if you don't watch Doctor Who, I don't know what's wrong with you. Get on it. <laughs> yeah, Andrew got me into it. I never watched it before Andrew, though. I was, I think I started watching it. Well, I'm like, I guess I originally started watching it um, with my mom. Or, like, at, no, at my grandma's house on, like, PBS in the 90s. like <laughs> In the 90s! Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was, like, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, God, the fourth doctor. Um, that I cannot tell you. I'm a bad doctor 
boo fan right now. Well, I mean, technically, there's like a doc. There's different numbers for. No, I mean, when I say the fourth doctor, everyone knows that I'm talking about Tom Baker. You just Googled that. I did. But because <laughs> clearly I did because I couldn't remember his name. But anyone who, you know, normally everyone would be like, yeah, Tom Baker. If you watch the show and you're super into that. But yeah, I used to watch um, that season with the fourth doctor, those seasons with the fourth doctor. Um, He's the on. one with the. Big, long, fun scarf. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And the hat. Yeah, uh, and the, like, afro kind of situation. Yeah, uh, he's great. Um, yeah, but that's who I started with. And then I got super excited and pirated the British television show when it came back in 2005 because I didn't know how else to see it over here. BBC America wasn't showing it yet. Really? We didn't all. We also didn't have BBC America. <laughs> <laughs> so they probably did. You just didn't know. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure that's like a number one TV show that it would it, no, show. When it, first, when it first came back, it wasn't super popular in America. It didn't really get popular. It got a little bit more popular with David Tennant, but it didn't really, really take off in the States till Matt Smith for some reason. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I, I watched through the, I watched through part of the David Tennant. Um, run. And then I stopped. I so I watched the Christopher Eggleston run all the way through, and he is great. Um, just generally. um, Too bad he is an asshole in real life. I know. Like what? Who is? It's so funny. Christopher Christopher Eggleston. Oh, I don't know him personally. He plays the first Doctor. Uh, in the new series, so the ninth Doctor. He also was in the very good Danny Boyle movie, Shallow Grave, which is Oh my amazing. God. Have I, I, Morgan, have I talked about Shallow Grave on the podcast before? Mm, no. Um, so <laughs> I've, it's one of my favorite movies. I show it to pretty much everyone I know. Um, I love that you just mentioned it. It's so good. Yes, it also has a very super young Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. And the chick that plays uh, Steve Buscemi's wife on Boardwalk Empire. Or her girlfriend at some point. No, they marry. They marry. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. I like I like them all. That movie's great. Uh, so Morgan, I'm sorry I hijacked you. Go ahead. Let's talk about John Christie. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. So, introducing the murderer, John Reginald Halliday Christie. Uh, he was born April 8th, 1899. Um, he was known as the Rillington Place Strangler the Rillington Place murderer, the sex strangler of Notting Hill. That last one didn't really catch on, but it was <laughs> <laughs> it was mentioned in the newspaper. Um, so I was reading some like old articles, and they had silly names, but that was m- my favorite, the sex strangler of Notting Hill. 
Can I just say that movie with Julia Roberts would have been a lot different if it was about John Christie? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. You're welcome for that. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, has she even been anything in anything that dark? I would love to. Closer? (laughs) Yeah. Closer? That's pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty dark. Have you watched uh, the the Amazon show um, based off the Gimlet podcast, Homecoming? I haven't seen that. Watch that. That's dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, like, this weird facility with soldiers, and she's, like, a psychiatrist. Oh, that sounds cool. It's good. Um, And it's, like, an anthology series on Amazon. But the original podcast is just that first story. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I, I recommend it, it. I have to add that to the list. Okay. Uh, so Christy was born the fifth or sixth out of seven children. Um, they say he had an overprotective mother and a very hard father. Tell um, they all. I know. <laughs> I'm like, uh, tough break for mom <laughs> of a serial killer. Yeah. Um. Yeah, tough break for the parents, both, always. Like, even if none of it's true, you know? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. there was a lot of reports that she was super overprotective, um, and he would punish the kids, like, really harsh. And he was part of, like, a group that spread conservative values to the UK. Um, so Christy, also known as Reggie, um, from his middle name, he was an outcast in his own home and at school. So Christy was bullied like immensely throughout his younger years. Uh, he had an above average IQ, but the social skills of a twat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nicely put. Yeah, apparently like he would just cry all the time. He would complain. He would say he was sick all the time. He I'll get into it later about his uh, issues of, I don't like using the word hysteria because it comes from the root of, you know, women being hysteric. But he was, he was a pretty hysterical person. Um, um I was going to say, what's, what's a uh, hypochondriac? Yeah, no, he's definitely a hypochondriac. Yeah. Like. We'll get into it how far it goes. Um, but as a child, he would just always want attention, and that's how he would get attention is to feign illness. If he played um, soccer, he'd be one of those guys that pretends to fall. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, hold his knee, and he's like, uh-huh. Ah. It's like that, uh, I can't remember what soccer game it is, but the guy, like, he uses his hand just to, like, put it up in front of his face, and the other guy, like, grabs his nose and falls on the ground <laughs> like, crying. Yeah. I can't remember that what that I think was it's either. Chelsea. Uh, I think so. Maybe. I think soccer fans will probably um, kill me if I got it wrong, but you know, whatever. Right in. <laughs> yeah. T- <laughs> tell us who this We're is. We're Americans. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he got his first glimpse of death uh, at a young age at his grandfather's funeral. Um. Supposedly his grandfather was also a really hard dude, and seeing him in the coffin not being so hard and being dead um, really fascinated him. Um, this was like a turning point for his mind. And he would 
often like think back about his dead grandfather in the coffin and then also wish his family was dead. Um, so he became even more of an outcast after a failed sexual experience with an older woman. After he got limp dick, she made fun of him and he became known as Reggie No Dick and Can't Do It Christy. I'm sorry, is limp dick the professional medical opinion? <laughs> no. Um, I actually can't remember the medical term for fla- it's just flaccid penis. I can't I can't remember. Is that not erectile dysfunction? Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, he had ED. Okay. Yeah, he got limp dick. Um, <laughs> too bad sildenafil wasn't in his pocket. Also known as Viagra, the blue pill. Oh, God. Um, which God. is, yeah, covered by insurance. So just in the United States. Yeah. Um, so after... That means you don't have to go to the gas station and get those weird... Allegedly Chinese dick pills. Oh my God! Please don't do it. I've actually They're had a rip-off. people. Oh, no. Yeah, I've had men come into the ER after like having uh, heart palpitations after taking. Oh them. no! Yo, look, my ex, my ex worked at a gas station, and he said there would be like ten guys buying like lots of those pills like every day. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. There's um, the Spanish fly, um. That's that's one that was used in like the 60s and 70s. But when I worked at the the head shop a long time ago, um, we sold those. And there was this like one dude who would always come in and be like, my girlfriend's coming into town and my wife's out of town. And he would just tell me about paying this woman and he would take a lot of those. I'm like, dude, you better be careful. I don't know if (laughs) those black panthers. I yeah, yeah, that that is one of them. It's the Black Panther. Yeah, and it like came a in a panther-shaped pill thing, um, like in a package. Like a, no, like, it ha- it had like well, a tiger on the front or something. Well, this particular one that I'm thinking of, they used to sell at this gas station. So it was it was actually a gold panther, right? And you unscrew it in the middle. Like in its stomach region, oh, what the f- oh, and then no. and then the pills pop out. Oh my god! It no, came, it, it was imported from like India or something. Oh my god! 
Well, there's Spanish fly, and the last time I visited my granddaddy, um, he told me all about Spanish fly that I wish I really didn't hear coming from my granddaddy. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is cool. <laughs> I honestly like to pretend that my parents are sexless, but I, mean, I, know, I know that's not true. That was rude for me when I was like five. Yeah, because you're here, so. No, I mean, like, I walked in on my mom and my stepdad when I was, like, six. Mm. Yeah, that, that's hard to erase from a memory. Yeah. Also, when I was, like, three or four, I found my dad's, like, hustler, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad gave me a Playboy magazine when I turned 11 because it had pink in it. And then I found out. <laughs> that, um, I think sufficient to say we have the best parents of all time. Yeah, I was just like, uh, <laughs> Daddy has this Playboy magazine. He's like, yeah, but the story's really good. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so okay, apparently well, Pink got her name from having a pink vagina. No, that's not where she got her name from. That is what she says in Playboy magazine in like 2000. No, it was 19. Woo. I'm not. Well, okay, 1999. Well, in her interview on Behind the Music on VH1, she says that she got it in high school because every all her and her friends loved the movie um, Reservoir Dogs. And she was named after the Mr. Pink character. That's the one they nicknamed her what after. What is the truth here? Kate? I know in Playboy magazine, she showed her vagina to one of her friends. And he said, oh, it's pink. <laughs> what is the <laughs> truth? I know. Pink Pink told different stories. One's a PG audience and one is an adult male audience. So Yeah. I'm or eleven year old girl being greatly scarred by the fact that her favorite <laughs> artist, Pink, <laughs> got her name after her vagina. Um, yeah. I was not given a Playboy when I was eleven, so I did although I did find my brother's Playboys, but I didn't read the issue that had Pink talking about this. <laughs> so um, I wish I still had it. I had it for a long time. We have conflicting reports on how Pink got her stage name. Yeah, I want if Pink is listening, <laughs> please Alicia email. Morgan, how did you get this nickname? What is the truth, Pink? <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> okay, no more about Pink's pink vagina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how did we get uh, um so christy actually left school at the age of 15 and he became an assistant movie projectionist um i would say probably masturbated in there but since he has erectile dysfunction i'm not too sure and there's not many dead people around because apparently that's only how he got off uh as we'll get into later you know a lot of them only the corpse will get you off. Yeah, no. That's just... Oof, just I've, play I've dead. seen Necromantic. Necromantic. <laughs> That's, Google it if you've never heard of it. I haven't heard of it. I don't know if I want to Google that or not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I'm going to be German. put on another list. <laughs> it's German, and it came out in the 80s. And it's one of the ones that I'm writing about in my book on German 
horror films. Oh my god, I have to watch it now. I love German films. You're going you're going to maybe hate me later, but <laughs> Okay. Um so after this around this time he um was called into war because World War One had broken out. He was then sent to France Apparently, he did a good job at signaling or something, and then he was exposed to a mustard gas attack, and he was hospitalized. Um, Around this time, he had uh, supposedly temporarily blindness. He, like, had faked his illness, the doctors think. Um, So it's not proven if he had blindness, but if you do get mustard gas around the facial area, you probably will go blind. But um, yeah, but he was known as a hypochondriac, and this is like a pattern where he feigned illness to get out of things, or um, did he this to get attention. He was, he thinks he was pretending. Yeah, and well, like at he the was, very most exaggerating greatly. Yeah, he. Like, a lot of the jobs he had later, like, he couldn't be blind to do those jobs. Um, yeah. So, it's definitely faked. Maybe he had some kind of vision damage from it, but I doubt it. Um, reports never showed that he was blind, but people that testified uh, said he was just exaggerating his blindness. Yeah. Um, he also randomly became mute um, one report said three years, but there's one that said it only lasted six months. Um, mm. and later psychologists say he did this to gain attention. Uh, he was like a That's little. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, and in one article I read, he visited two doctors, just two doctors, for a total of 173 times over the course of 15 years. Wow. That's yeah, a lot, man. Yeah, like, like I have a chronic illness and I don't go to the doctor that often. Yeah, no, he <laughs> he, he like just loved to fake every illness. Um, so on May tenth, nineteen twenty, he married Ethel Waddington from Sheffield. Uh, and this was during Christie's mute phase. So I don't know how that went. Like Ethel must be really boring. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to make I, fun, but I mean, you know. Yeah, she would actually later become a victim and would be buried beneath the floorboards in the front room of their Rillington Place flat. But this comes much later. Um, Ethel would also soon learn that Christie wasn't able to perform in the bedroom. And instead, he went out frequenting uh, ladies of the night, the streets, on the streets. Um, after they got married... Sex Christi- workers. Yes, yeah, sex workers, ladies of the night, prostitutes, hookers, whatever you want to call it. I think the sex acceptable workers. term is sex workers these days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think we're we're trying to be PC on this show. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sex workers. Um, I love you, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to offend anybody. Um, but uh, after they got married, he became a postman for a little bit. 
And then he started stealing some packages and he was caught and he was sent to prison um, or sent to jail. Yeah. He started getting into bad stuff around this time. Um, All of his shit started escalating. Uh, After four years of being together, Christy left Ethel and moved to London. And then this was where he started a spiral. He was like in and out of prison. Um, He also tried to kill one of the um, sex workers that he lived with. Um, I can't remember her name. I didn't write it down, but apparently they got in an argument. She was trying to leave. He picked up a cricket bat and hit her in the head. And one magistrate said it was a murderous attempt, but then he was only sentenced to six months of hard labor. Um, for attempted murder <laughs> but then wow. again who cares about the sex worker in 1940s london or 1930s sorry Shit. Is... it was that way back when gary ridgeway was killing sex workers i mean to and be like, honest it's that way now i was, I was gonna I say know. yeah like they never they're still not really getting justice for people who just they're, they're still easy targets Oh, definitely. People don't pay close. The cops don't pay close enough attention. It's a real yeah. problem. Yeah. What do they call? Uh, what do they call them? Is the unseen, uh, the unseen missing? I can't yeah. remember. There's like a project where, because even like in the databases, like in the U.S. right now, um, they're not connecting like uh, sex workers, like missing people. Mm-hmm. They don't count them as missing people, pretty much. So there's like a... I can't remember. I'm fucking this all up. So uh, if somebody wants to write in and talk about it, there's there's some information out there. Um, there's like a documentary where it's these people are getting together with the FBI and um, other like web sleuths that are making a list of the missing missing. That's it. Um, it's like unseen people because when they're they're just missing um but they're not on the missing persons list because of their lifestyle be it drugs or sex work or alcohol anything like that just homeless for whatever reason yeah Um, you become a marginalized invisible person yeah especially like lot lizards yeah absolutely (laughs) There's a really good book called Sarah um, about Lot Lizard, and it's like a 12-year-old boy who um, he's trans, and he wants to be like his mom, who's a Lot Lizard. Oh, it's a really fucked up book, but it's good. What was that called again? Sarah. Sarah. By who? S-A-R-A-H. Ooh, I don't even know. I read it my sophomore year of college. Oh. Yeah, way I, back in the day. Yes, I still like, have that's it. That's like around the time that we met, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was right after that because I got it from a friend in Virginia that I met. Um, wow. It is by Laura Albert. Oh, all right. But it's written under the name of J.T. Leroy. <gasps> oh, oh, my. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. Are we all good? I was very loud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're we're good. Okay, I'm very sorry. Um, I just got really excited because, oh shit, 
do you do you know about that author? No. Did I? There's a whole documentary. Yeah, a whole really? What the fuck? Oh my god. How have I not known this? I thought it was some unknown writer. Like this writer, like pretended to be someone else for a really long time, and it was this whole big literary scandal. Oh, well, yeah. shit. Um, There's my a documentary bad. about it. Look it up. <laughs> I mean, I really like the book. Is it not by this person? Did they? They wrote it, but they're lying about like everything. Well, yeah, no, it's not written by. Well, no, like... when it first came out, it was kind of well. Okay, no, um, Allie, help. Do you remember more? <laughs> um, <laughs> all I know is that JT Leroy wasn't real. Yeah, yeah. So JT Leroy, JT Leroy was somebody pretending to be JT Leroy, but not like just in a pen name kind of way. Like they had this whole persona and like hung out with rich people and like portrayed portrayed themselves in a light that was completely untrue. And it was this big scandal when it came out that they were a completely different person. Oh. Yeah. Um that's the most I remember. I watched the documentary a few years back like right before I moved to New York. Um yeah, you'll have to just just Google Damn. Yeah, yeah just look deeper into JT Leroy's life and you'll find all about it. It's Damn. a crazy thing. Yeah. Well, the book was actually uh, like it was um it was under her real name, Laura Albert. Okay, so that might have been one of the ones that she tried to, like, pull off, like, after um, all that was revealed and it just didn't sell as well or something. Oh, maybe. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. you'll If, if you like Am I living book, under a rock? Like. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had no idea about any of. I lo- okay, I have a a proclivity for um uh literary scandals. I find them fascinating. I love a good literary scandal. Damn, I want to reread the book and then um and then watch the documentary. Yeah, there's okay, so um Dario Argento's um daughter did a did an adaptation of one of J.T. Leroy's books, um, The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. Oh. And uh, they, uh, she was also, like, led astray by this. And then there was a whole scandal about her possibly, like, sexually abusing that underage guy. I was going to say, who cares about... Asia Argento being <laughs> misled by anything, but yeah, oh, no, I, I was Asia Argento, <laughs> yeah, like her. on the set of this film that JT Leroy wrote. Uh, yeah, she. Um, wow, this is like a sh- It's it's a it's a uh, Russian doll of scandal. <laughs> this is insane. I had no idea. I just was gifted this book when I first moved to. Um, Virginia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You said that name and I was like, 
I know y'all like, both uh, are like, oh fuck. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> is, she, is she a murderer? <laughs> no, just some literary scandals. Mm, I need to get caught up in the world of the world. Yeah. Not, not murder, <laughs> but it's a crazy story. Get uh, get get caught up. I literally have no idea where I left off. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have your notes. Um, um sex worker. Yeah, we we're talking. Oh, about beating her in the head. Right. Yes, that one. Yeah. You know, okay. a little assault on a sex worker. Yeah, like attempted murder, and then only six months of hard labor, which I don't know what hard labor was in England in the 1920s, 30s time, but I imagine it was was pretty hard. I was going to say, I don't think it was, I still don't think it was quite the same thing as hard labor in a prison in America. Yeah, (laughs) namely in Mississippi. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, so after this, he got out. Uh, he had like a decade-long list of petty crimes. And then he got arrested for stealing a priest's car. <laughs> he apparently uh, befriended a priest and then stole his car and was like immediately caught. Um, he was only in prison for three months. Around this time, he gets out. He reaches out to Ethel. And then... She had been having an affair um, with another married man, and she had claimed that she lost her husband in the war and she was a widow. And then when their relationship fizzled out, she became lonely. She was 35. And then John Christie calls her up. Hey, or I shouldn't do that. Hello, Ethel. Uh, I thought you'd never call. Um, So Ethel rejoined her husband in London around 1933. um, I feel like she had to have just been the loneliest woman in the world to take him back. Yeah. Especially, like, he was mute when they first got together. And then he's, like, going around with sex workers, staying out all night. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad that she turned to him, like, and followed him to London because she was in Sheffield um, and she was actually working as a typist. Like, she had a life, but... She escaped him, but she went back. Yeah, yeah, like, maybe things would have ended up differently, but um, she eventually died by his hands. Um, So... That was around 1933. They um, decide to reconcile, and that's when uh, they moved to 10 Rillington Place. Um, and Christy continues um, acting violent. Like, this is when he starts getting violent with the sex workers, um, like, on the street. And then around this time, that's when World War II is beginning, and Christy applies to a police station, <laughs> even though he has decade, uh, over a decade, over a decade of crimes spanning from attempted murder to grand larceny, petite larceny, um, stealing a mail. Choice. 
Yeah, but they yeah. didn't. They did not look into his record, and he was hired. <laughs> this motherfucker was hired as like a policeman. Wow. Uh, he was actually like a guardsman, so he like just was yeah. out on the streets. Um, some experts believe this is when Christie began murdering. Um, probably he was just given yeah. his power. I was gonna yeah. say, so often is it a cop? Yeah. So. He, it would have been way easier to get, you know, get away with it being a cop. The Golden State Killer was a cop. Yeah, I was going to say, you got the Golden State Killer for one. Well, there's there's tons of cop murders. <laughs> yes, there are. There are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they think maybe um, he had killed more people. Um, he also started an affair uh, with someone working at the police station. And this woman's husband was a soldier, and this is around 1939, so this guy was off somewhere, um, and they're having this, like, livid affair for, like, four years, and then this guy lurid comes affair? back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's livid. Is it lurid? Livid means, like, angry. Really yeah. angry. <laughs> I mean, it could have been that too. I mean, it could have been like a a series of hate fucking, but I think he meant third. <laughs> oh God, I've been saying that wrong for years. You know, somebody had to tell you, Morgan. Thank you for telling me. I've been saying "livid affair" and no one's ever corrected me. Because I always like that term. <laughs> oh, no. No. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, lurid. Get <laughs> learned today. Oh. <laughs> so he's having this affair. Um, and then this guy comes back and catches them in bed. Um, that's when he gets the shit beat out of him. Good. And then the affair ends. Um, and I think his career as a policeman ends around this time. I don't even know how long he was um, a police officer. Yeah, he was a police officer for four years. Um, so he gets beat up. He loses his job. Um, around this time, that's when he killed his first known victim uh, in August. Her name was Ruth First. She was. Um, oh, an- what a unfortunate name. Right. Yeah, Ruth first. She's the first. Um, so she was an Austrian immigrant who worked part time as a sex worker. Uh, she was like in some plant or something. I can't remember. Um, Christy confessed later that he strangled her during sex. Um, this was at Rillington Place, and he hit her body under the floorboards. And then he uh, moved her body to the garden later because it started to stink. Um, so after this, he kills Muriel in 1944, uh, which is the next year. Um, he said he had a special drug or special concoction that would cure her chronic bronchitis so she's like, oh, cool, you're not a doctor, but yeah, I'll try it. Um, he gave her some mixture of household cleaning stuff, which contained carbon monoxide. Well, see, 
he wasn't wrong. It did cure this. It just cured <laughs> it by killing her. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Don't trust a back alley doctor. Um, no, please don't. don't. Don't do it. Looking at you, Texas. Yes, don't do it. God. Don't do it, Texas. And, yeah, in this Travel fucking story. Travel to a uh, neighboring state. Yeah, we'll help you out. Um. Yeah, so... So once she is passed out from this, uh, Christy continues to choke her and rapes her violently. And then he chokes her to death. And then he buries her by first out back because they had like a huge backyard that included this like really nice garden. Um, So he buried her back there. Um, And he was like an avid gardener. But also, like, who knows if he was really an avid gardener or if he was, like, really obsessed with the thought that there were dead people there. I don't know. Really avid at keeping the bodies hidden. Yeah. So, (laughs) and so these are the only, like, first two that are known. And and this is 1944. Um, Four years pass until... Uh, no, it's like five, five or six years pass um, until his next known murder. Um, so around 1948 is when uh, Timothy Evans and his wife, Beryl Evans, move into Rillington Place. Um, Timothy Evans and Beryl um, are very important in this story. Um as we'll later find out. So, and, uh, well, I was going to say that Tim Timothy has kind of a direct correlation with a character in the film. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so Timothy was the neighbor. Um, he was known as like a very simple man. I think he had a. I hate saying simple, but some people called him that I think they meant like he had a low IQ um he was working as a painter and a decorator and then he eventually went into the coal mines um and then he started getting problems and had to quit that and became a like bus driver or like a small trolley rider driver I, I don't know um so his wife was stay at home he eventually gets her pregnant and she has a baby girl. Um, they named her Geraldine. Um, around this time, he was only making like small wages. So Beryl was staying at home to take care of the kid, but they couldn't afford um, much of anything. And Timothy was known to spend all of his paycheck on alcohol. And he was a, uh, super heavy drinker with a really bad temper. So him and Beryl were always like super loud. Um, They would get into like fist fights. A lot of people saw them fighting, which later they like testified against Timothy court um, for her death. Um, so everyone used this was like a volatile relationship. One person said he threw his wife out the window when she was pregnant. Um, and they lived on the top floor. So oh 
God. <laughs> yeah, that was like one report. So, because they had someone living with them after um, they had the baby to try to help with rent. And then she's like, okay, fuck this shit. E-yard, like, trashy. Um, so, she, uh, Beryl eventually gets pregnant again. And they're like, shit, we cannot afford this kid. Um, so they're telling everybody like, she's pregnant. We don't want this kid. Um, and that's when Christy hears it and is like, Hey, I can help out. Um, there's many different accounts of what people think happened and what the truth was, but I'll just go on with the fact that, uh, Evans was sentenced to death for the murder of his wife and his daughter, but in 2000 and, Three, uh, or two, 1966, they gave him a royal pardon after the fact, uh, post, posthumously. Am I fucking that up too? Posthumously. There you go. <laughs> you got it. You got um, it. Yeah, so he got a royal pardon then, but so, like, you can look it up yourself. I don't know what really happened. Um, According to testimony, Evans changed the story several times about how his wife died. Um, when he was finally, like, sentenced to court or, um, like, indicted for murder on the stand, he said Christy did it. And then they started getting another story out of him saying that they had heard that Christy would give her an abortion. And then she died on the table and they had to hide her body. Um, Evans did admit to killing his wife and then he took it back and then he admitted it again. Um, also this kind of points back to him having a very low IQ and not understanding the legal process. I think that in back then they used to beat people into, uh, confessing. Um, but Christie was not charged. He was actually used as a witness on the stand against Evans. He never admitted to it at all. Um, but Evans' last words were Christie did it before they hung him. Um, so um, they found that she had carbon monoxide in her body, which shows like all of his other victims later had carbon monoxide because it was this concoction that he used. Um, so it's most likely that uh, Christy did murder her, but had Evans hide the body. That's what I'm thinking. Um, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. Cause it, there was like, it's, it's so crazy the amount of stories there are and amount of confessions and like different stories he gave the court. So I really do think he was somewhat involved, but I don't think he did it. I think Christy did. And then he hid the body. Um, yeah. I think Christy just kind of took advantage of this guy. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Cause they were in a hard spot. Like they were super poor, uneducated, um, Evans was actually, he didn't even finish school. I think he finished school when he was like eight and he like dropped out. Yeah. Um, and he was illiterate. So he probably had no idea that he was signing a confession to, you never know. I, I um, doubt he did, honestly. Yeah. And 
so he was actually hung for the murder of his wife and daughter. And the daughter, Geraldine, she was, uh, I think, three or something. She was found with a tie around her neck. Um, she had been uh, murdered a few days after her mom. That's what they thought. Um, so, and they had actually missed bodies, too. Uh, they probably would have found out Christy if they actually believed Evan's story that Christy did it. Cause at this point there were two bodies in the garden and then Beryl and Geraldine's body was like in the shed right next to the garden. So if they had really like searched the property, they may have found them. I don't know. Um, but after this, um, they don't have their loud neighbors anymore, and another person moves out. So it's really just the Christies living in this um, flat. And Christie had lost his job um, and started having, like, panic attacks. Um, he lost a lot of weight. He was very strange. And I think this is when he was, like, just complete murderous rampage. Um, and the Second World War was going on. Um so after after they had been murdered and the Timothy Evans trial went on, it wasn't until 1951 that oh, sorry. I think it's 1951 um, that that's when. He lost, yeah, no, no, sorry. Can you? <laughs> yes, I got you. <laughs> okay. Um, so 1950 is when Evans uh, is hanged. And then after this, um, Christie's past uh, criminal record was brought up after that trial, where then he lost his job at the post office. Because they made him another post office person. Because no one checks anybody's records. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yes. mean, I have known people who work at the post office here, and it is almost impossible to get fired. So I believe <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Like, he had already been fired the first time. Um, but I guess it's like 20 years later. Um, so then he finds a job with British Road Transport Services, and that's when uh, another family um, moves into Reelington Place. Um, and then all of a sudden, December 1952, Christie resigns from his job. Um, and December 12th, he murders his wife in bed. Or, no, sorry, the morning of December 14th, he strangles Ethel. Um, so he tried to keep this murder a secret by redoing the letters she had sent her sister. Um, so he changed the date on these letters. And so it looked like she was still alive after the fact. And yeah, he, and he would just tell neighbors that she was, like, out of town or something. Yeah, so since he quit his job, he was like, yeah, she's going back to Sheffield, and I'm going to meet her. But then others would say, no, you said she was going to Birmingham. 
Um, but he's like, no, we're, we're getting ready to move. She has to take care of things before I get there. So he starts, um, going out and selling different things. Cause at this point he's running out of money. He quit his job. Well, like 1951, sorry, 1952. So that's the problem when you quit your job to become a full-time serial killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crime like, doesn't like, pay enough. Especially when you're not robbing people. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to different places around London selling different things of his wife. He sells her a wedding ring. He sells a watch. Um, And he's not selling it to the same places. He's just going everywhere. Um, Then he starts selling furniture um, and, like, random stuff out of the house. Not suspicious at all. Yeah. Yeah. And by January 26, 1953, he's like, okay, um, I got to forge my wife's signature and empty her bank account. Um, and then he starts selling all of her clothes. Uh, he's just like going through the money. And the, the family starts getting suspicious because she's still writing her sister letters, but it's in his handwriting. Um and they were like, why are you writing? And he's like, oh, well, she has rheumatoid arthritis and can no longer write. So this is why I'm writing you. Um, and they're like, when are we going to see her? And he's like, oh, well, she comes soon. She's been sick. And he has like a different story for like every person. Um, We're going to need to see yeah. a proof of life, John. Yeah. So <laughs> she's like underneath the floorboards in the front room this whole time which i can't imagine the stench um yeah because yeah, she's in think, there that makes yeah. me think of uh what's his name dennis nielsen uh yeah like all the bodies just chill all out. those but and like body gut like the guts and stuff too yeah um but Dahmer's apartment too Oh, God. Oh, that's the worst. I bet that's the worst. I think out of all of them, like, Dahmer's apartment would stink the worst. Well, I mean, I think Dahmer and Dennis Nielsen are, like, very similar sides of a coin. And they, I think their apartments are were probably kind of equally stinky. I mean, but maybe not as bad, because at least Nielsen flushed people down the toilet? Yeah, he, he got rid of some of the parts. Yeah. Like... Like Jeffrey Dahmer's like cooking them up and oh spilling beer oh. everywhere. Like probably peeing in the corner because he's like just too wasted and notice that he's not in the bathroom. If you'd like to know more about Jeffrey Dahmer, we have a two parter if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are good episodes. Um they are, they are. so he kills her in nineteen fifty two, December. January nineteenth, he kills his supposedly sixth victim. Um, she was pregnant and he says he, um, has this special gas and that he can abort her child. So she pays him. He, I think they go into his house, which probably fucking stinks really bad. Um, and then he puts the carbon monoxide on her and he strangles and rapes her until she died. Um, he also put her, he's put her in the cupboard. Um, and then around February, 1953, he kills, uh, Kathleen Maloney. She was 
she was a, a sex worker and he took her back to his place um, and strangled her and hid her in the um, cupboard as well. And then March 6, 1953, he kills Hectorina McLennan. Um, they were actually looking to live in the place that Chris, Christy was saying it was like going to sublease his flat. Um, and then he kills her. Um, nobody knows why she went back, I guess, maybe to like sign paperwork. I don't know. Um, but he murdered her with gas and strangulation, um, I think by a rope. Um, he hides her body also in the kitchen. It's like a false wall behind the cupboard is where the last three victims' bodies were. Um, and then, convenient. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, after this, H.H. Holmes stuff going on here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just so odd that it smells like this bad and there's people in the upstairs apartment. He's actually like giving people tours of his apartment. <laughs> I, I don't know what his excuse was then for the smell. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, the rental market must have sucked. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this place was like super seedy. Um, like he had no furniture in it. You know, he had, like, a table and, like, knives, and that was it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and a bunch of rope. <laughs> um, so, um, around 1953, like, late March, after he killed all of his victims, um, he moved out, and he stole money from this couple, um, pretending that he was going to sublease his apartment but um that wasn't the case he just like stole their money and left and then the landlord was like no you can't live here and that's when the landlord went to view um the apartment and that's when they found the bodies um so they called the police the a whole area was quarantined off and they did extensive searches of the inside of the house and um, the garden, and that's where they found the first two victims in the garden. Um, so this started, like, raising concerns, like, oh, shit, we just killed a guy that lived in the same apartment, and maybe it wasn't him, maybe it wasn't Evans, maybe it was Christy the whole time. Um, so it's, like, a huge case in England, like, searching for him, so his face is, like, blasted everywhere. Um, but he's, like, uh, constantly moving, sleeping in parks, um, just trying to stay, like, under the radar. Um, and then he gets confronted by a police officer. And he had, like, a hat on or something. And the officer's like, you're Christy. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not Christy. I'm not that guy. And he's like, take your hat off. And then like the mustache and the glasses. And there's like, you are Christy. Um, that's how I imagine it. Cause he's a pretty <laughs> odd looking character. I don't think you could confuse him with anybody, even like with a hat on or off. Um, but this police officer was like, yeah, um, take off your hat, sir. Um, but yeah, 
So then he gets brought in. Um, they actually bring up the Evans case in court. Uh, I think he actually said he was involved, but I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. Um, um, his testimony in court. It was really hard to find any like quotes directly from him. I'm pretty sure he does later on confess. Yeah. I like a lot of the details are, are shoddy for me. Um, cause he, he claimed insanity for the trial. Um, before the trial, he was going to give, um, a interview um, it was actually before he was arrested, I think. He was going to get a, an interview talking about his crimes, but then he saw some police officers and he got scared and ran away. Um, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was before. Was like, I think it was like after he was convicted and he was in jail, he finally admitted to that. Yeah, so, um, so his trial was like insane. There were hundreds and hundreds of people like trying to get a peek of him. Um, so his day in court was on 8th of April, 1953. And it was just like this huge show for all of London. He faced uh, four charges of murder and reporters and locals flocked to the Clerkenwell court. Yeah. Clerkenwell court. Uh, to try and glimpse the murder of 10 Rillington Place. He pleaded insanity, but was found guilty of the murder of his wife and the three other women. Around 200 people sat outside the court during the trial listening to it on the radio. Um, And Christie was executed at 9 a.m. on July 15th by the same man who executed Timothy Evans. Um... And then after that, um, they posted his death certificate on the door of the prison because um, he was at Pentonville Prison and people came and got pictures of it and were reading it. So they had his death certificate like displayed on the doors of the prison, which I thought was crazy. I saw like a picture and it's like hundreds of people just trying to get a peek of it. Um, it was a media well, frenzy. frenzy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. uh, yeah, so in 1966, um, there were two official inquiries over the um, Timothy Evans case, and that's when he was awarded that uh, royal pardon. And then in 2003, Evans's sister and half-sister received compensation for the miscarriage of justice. Excellent. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy case. And, I mean, like I was saying a minute ago, um, you know, there, there are some definite, not definite parallels between the case, and you can see, like, what they took from this case to put into Frenzy. Yeah. Um, they left out the. Did they leave out the necrophilia part? Yes. I think so. Yes, that's not included. But does yeah. he mention it or something when he's I raping? I, I don't. The first woman. Uh, he says something creepy. He does say something creepy. Um. I can't remember if he says I, something 
sly, like, you'll be dead anyway or something. I feel like he says something like that, but I don't know if it directly indicates that he would be fine fucking her dead. Yeah, because Christy, like, was a huge necrophiliac. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, um, I don't know if he raped the corpse. I mean, I don't know if the main character... If they ever allude to him raping corpses, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they I don't do. Think so. I, I don't think, think they so. explicitly say like he rapes and then murders them. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's what Not it is. Rapes, murders, rapes again. Yeah, I think he enjoys <laughs> seeing the terror in their eyes. Yeah. That's why they like dragged that scene out so much, or Hitchcock did rather. Um. Yeah. So normally, right now is a time that we um. Kind of just talk about a little bit of a few things that we've done throughout the week and kind of just wrap up and talk about where we're going with new episodes. And then you can um, uh, talk more about Swamp Flicks if you want or you can do whatever, you know, just promote yourself. Sure. So uh, you can do that now if you want. And then Morgan and I and you will all talk about like what random stuff we've watched and whatnot. Sure, yeah. So, Swamp Flicks, we are a collection of Southeast Louisiana natives that have been reviewing films for, oh my gosh, has it been five years? Something like that now. Um, We have two separate um, podcast things. We have the main podcast and the Lanyap podcast that I am a part of. And in the main podcast, they usually choose a theme and watch a few movies in that theme. So I think one of the most recent episodes, um, Brandon, our head Swamp Flicks guy, made everybody watch terrible reality TV movies. Um, so you can hear <laughs> all of them talk about that. Uh, I know they've had episodes on such great things as lesbian vampires and like classics that they all missed out on seeing um so they do a lot of stuff like that um and then for the lanyard podcast that i am a part of uh one of us chooses a movie and makes the other two watch it and then we have a discussion about our thoughts on the movie so our upcoming episode is going to be about the movie impulse featuring william shatner and he is at his sweatiest. And <laughs> oh, yeah. It is, I guess, similar in a little bit of ways to Frenzy, and that William Shatner is, you know, duping women into being involved with him and then murdering them. Um, it was filmed in Tampa, Florida, uh, by a Tampa, Florida filmmaker who met William Shatner at an airport. Um, it also features the my movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, yeah, and it features the actor that played Oddball in Odd Job. Sorry, not Oddball. Odd Job in the James Bond films. Nice, um, nice. He almost dies on set, uh, which is wild. Um, it is a wild wild movie um unfortunately it is only like we could only find it in the lowest of qualities on youtube but uh if i know the struggle yeah i've had to bend over backwards to find things yeah 
if regional filmmaking is your jam as much as it is small flicks jam then you'll love it um so that's that's my spiel on small flicks um okay. for the now uh we are going to be focusing on you know our october spooky suggestions throughout the whole month and sure. i believe a roundup of our halloween uh recommendations for the year is just posted i feel like i just got a text during the break about it so look for that on swamp flicks i think it's swampflix.com or we have a facebook um in the podcasts or i believe on all of the regular podcast spaces so yeah check us out um speaking of things that happened over the break uh we just got our first listener from hold on let me double check what it was again because i forgot what it was egypt we got our first listener from egypt wow yeah that's pretty neat um we have listeners in like 35 different countries not to brag but we do but i wonder what our like every uh, i don't know well i mean it's usually just like one person from these countries <laughs> but like i'm super glad that they found us yeah they're all like a lot most of these countries are like less than one percent so it's like literally this one beautiful person in another country far away listening to us for some reason and we love you yeah. um one percent of our listeners are australian four percent are british or from the UK, you know, six um, percent are Canadian, nice, and eighty-four percent are from the US. Hi, listeners. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it's that's fun. how it starts, you know. Around the world, around the world, <laughs> yeah, around around the world with horror versus reality. Um, uh, what have you watched anything interesting? Are you watching anything interesting, Allie? Or listening to anything interesting? Um, so lately, I we we do a roundup on the Swamp Looks podcast, but I have been watching quite a few movies, a lot of rewatches lately. Um, but one of the new movies that I watched was called The Wind since we are horror related here, I thought I would throw out my horror movie that I've watched recently. Um, it yeah. is about a woman, well, a family, but mainly it focuses on the woman alone living in the, on the American frontier. So hmm. it is very like, it's atmospheric, um, but not to a fault. Um it's pretty interesting. I definitely recommend it. I wouldn't say, you know, it's a masterpiece, but it is, sure. it's definitely worth watching. Um, okay. It's very, you know, lady on her own battling vague forces of evil. So if that's your jam, um, check it out. I definitely recommend it. It's a tight 90 minutes. So. Okay. Excellent. I like nothing it. wrong I with like that. It. It's tight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the the most relevant thing I've been uh, watching slash listening to. Um, okay. I've been slowly working my way through the TV show Elementary, so you know, <laughs> season five of that. Um, 
mainly for Lucy Liu because she is gorgeous and also very calming. I was going to say, what's it like having Lucy Liu play Watson? It's so good. It's so good. She's wonderful. I love her. Also, fun fact, Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Sherlock in that show, is Angelina Jolie's first husband. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are in uh, Hackers together, They met on Hackers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. And my friend Heather, who is, like, one of my sister's oldest, dearest friends, uh, her son is named Dade after the character from Hackers. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Um, Okay, so Morgan, how about you? You're up. So, um, other than making fairy doors uh, with my friend Lori, shout out Lori if you're listening. Hey, Lori. She usually listens to us while she's cooking dinner. Um, I hope it's tasty tonight. (laughs) Yeah, we got together and made some fairy doors. Um, But other than the fairy doors and making my craft room a complete mess because I haven't finished mine. She finished hers and put hers on the tree, which is pretty sweet. Uh, Me, on the other hand, it's still in pieces on the floor. (laughs) Um, But I've been watching Only Murders in the building. Oh, I like, I've been, I checked that out. I was into it. It's so So good. good. It's, it's on Hulu. Um, uh, Anna, are you aware of it? I am. I think my sister's watching it on my Hulu account. Because um, <laughs> so, someone is. Um, well, it's not me. I, I really love it. Um, I love Steve Martin and Martin Short. Yeah, so. I was going to say. I love Steve Martin great. for sure. I could yes. take or leave Selena Gomez. Yeah, her she voice. She is actually pretty good in it. I, she's, she, yeah. she is a good actress in this. Just her voice. And sound like nasally and just really just she's just talking like in a monotone voice the whole time that gets on my nerves but i think she's a great actress in this show okay um also been catching up on what we do in the shadows they're also um having a new episode out every thursday at 10 p.m on hulu fucking love that show i love the movie but the show grew on me because i was like oh yeah the movie i love matt barry matthew barry matt barry is so good (laughs) yes um i i love the movie too just because i love taika waititi so much yes yes well taika waititi is a character in the show too he's been that's amazing yeah he shows up on the show a lot like it's random random uh episodes but good i'm glad that's to great to get into the spirit of halloween i started re-watching the um classics of like the 80s horror film genre like pumpkin head <laughs> did you watch the sequel blood wings i started and i fell asleep <laughs> it was it was that bad shout out to lance henriksen what happened to his career yeah, no, I think it was um, that movie, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely was another thing for him. Yeah, no, I I started watching that one too. I fell asleep, um, mainly because I had been awake over like 24 hours. <laughs> I was like, I don't think watching four pumpkin heads in a row um, will keep me awake, and it didn't. 
Uh, no, I mean, at this point, that's just like peaceful sleep. I will say yeah. Pumpkinhead freaked me the fuck out as a child. Now I was just like, <laughs> well, sure. Like as a kid, you walk down the uh, the horror movie aisle of Blockbuster or whatever um, movie rental place you went to, and you would see just the cover art. And what the fuck is that thing? Pumpkinhead? Ah! Yeah. It's like this otherworldly, freaky demon-looking guy. I know. Yeah. Those horror and- movie covers, you know. They really, they really knew what they were doing, and I, I think maybe in some ways our uh, streaming culture has kind of ruined film. That's, cover. What, that's what I was. That's what I was <laughs> about to say. Like the Gen Z children do not know what they're missing. They don't have um. Yeah, a, they they can't Hellraiser. Just, yeah, you can't just yeah. go and like see a crazy cover and be like. What is this about? Like, um, nightmares for free, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Just looking at it. (laughs) Yes. One of the ones that always got me as a kid was the cover to uh, Dead Alive. Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's like a woman's face and she's like opening her mouth and there's like a little skull inside her mouth. It's like, what's happening? I don't remember um, the cover of that. Oh, yeah, that is a creepy one. Okay. Yeah, that was one that always haunted me at our local blockbuster um, until I finally watched it and was like, I love Peter Jackson. <laughs> There's like, so much blood. I know, it's fantastic. Um, and also, uh, the Silence of the Lambs one was kind of interesting because you just see, like, black and white Jodie Foster-esque face with the... Um, the- Yeah, those are both ones that I would stare at a lot and be like, I wonder what this is about before I actually finally saw them, you know. I was always like, oh, is this the the, uh, backstory of Lamb Trap? (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And if you've seen the movie within the context, that's so wrong, Morgan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh. It's a song that at some point does end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Mm. So what have you been up to, Anna? Good question. What have I been up to? Um, I've been falling asleep to uh, most evil killers recently. (laughs) (laughs) They have, like, the first four seasons, all the episodes on Tubi. So I've been watching that because they were missing episodes on Hulu. So they're on Peacock too. Yeah, they were. Oh, you know what? It was Peacock that was missing all the episodes. Yeah, because uh, I, I don't say, think Tubi all... is Tubi is great. A yeah, lot of Tubi design. has a lot of weird horror movies that you can't see anywhere other than Tubi for some reason. Huh. Um, it's great. It's great if you have taste in um, B-movie horror, or you like a lot of foreign things, you can find some crazy shit over there, honestly. The show that I love, that uh, Australian crime scene investigation, you have, like, they have, like, all the episodes of that on Tubi. I have been watching, um, I'm gonna sound like I'm 70, but I've been watching Columbo on Tubi, so, (laughs) yeah, it's it's all on there. (laughs) Nice. Definitely watched with that with my grandma as a kid. It's, I, it's great. 
do not care for that show. Um, <laughs> I cannot do it. I'm not big into procedurals. Like, I used to watch a lot of procedurals with my mom as a kid, and now I'm just, like, completely, like, law and ordered out, you know? Yeah. But I will say that at least Columbo is a character. Yeah, I was going to say, it's all about Peter Falk, so. <laughs> Somehow my, my 12-year-old niece likes that show. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yes. yes. Um, future future old lady of the world club. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? You like Columbo? She's like, no, I don't like Columbo. I mean, her brother I like- was like, yeah, she watches it every freaking day. <laughs> don't let her lie to you. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> She's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she, loves it. she loves Peter Falk. <laughs> um, what else have I been up to? Um, I've still been like, Grinding it out and grounded. I uh, have almost completed my giant bridge that connects you to all the POIs in the game. Nice. So that I so that I can like travel free, stress free, in between points without having to worry about being chased by a wolf spider or a bombardier beetle. Nice. So you're you're like navigating the world in a, a safe manner. Uh, yeah, navigating the backyard in a safe manner for a yeah, giant fucking child. <laughs> yeah, backyard. Because, yeah, uh, if, again, if you didn't listen to the last episode and you don't know what Grounded is, it's a video game that is like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, kind of. Uh, it's a sandbox open world uh, survival game. So. Are they going to expand it? Yeah, they've already expanded it from what it was when it was first released. And it's only, like, now in, like, alpha or beta, so. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I've gotten pretty far. I got the, like, Burgle chip that's the, like, robot dude. I got his, like, missing chip in the hedge where I had to, like, battle a bunch of orb weavers and shit. And <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And I uh, went down into the anthill and got um, the chip there. And now I'm going into the area that has, uh, like, pesticide sprayed all over it. So you have to, like, make a gas mask out of a, <laughs> out of a weevil and a skate bug and go in there and, uh, like, get stuff from infected weevils and stuff like that. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I'm gonna go. I'm going to harvest fungus and get the other chip over there. So, yeah, wish me luck. I have to kill five stink bugs too, and they are um, not slouches. I fucking uh, hate stink bugs. game. Speaking of, like, after I started playing this, I was driving to get pipe screens the other day, right? And I look on the dash, and there's a stink bug just chilling on my dashboard. As no, I'm thank driving. you. And I'm like, it starts crawling towards me, and I, like, miss my turn three times. Cause <laughs> I'm just concerned about this thing crawling on me and deciding to, like, let out those glands. And then he, like, disappeared in the air duct, and I think he died in our car. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those things. Every time they, like, fly around me, I swat it, and then it automatically smell like it for, like, a whole day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate them. They're not great. Um, I wish when the world used DDT, they just would have gone extinct. I wish that would have happened with mosquitoes, too. Yeah. Yeah, mosquitoes, definitely. They are the bane of my existence. 
They're the bane of like the world's existence because they cause so many fucking diseases. Them and so many diseases. I know. They are like the those most motherfuckers diseases. and ticks. Like fuck them all. Mhm. Mhm. I like bathe and off before I go on hikes. And wear well, you know, like clothing to long socks and stuff. I'm not trying to get uh, what do you call it, Lyme disease. Yeah. Oh, I have no, no intention of that. No. Yeah. Um, what else have I been up to? Um, I I keep meaning to start Midnight Mass on Netflix. The uh next. Oh, I thought you meant like you were going to become a Catholic. I was like, what? No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mini a limited a series on Netflix from Mike Flanagan, the same guy who did um the Haunting on Hill House miniseries and the Haunting of Bly Manor miniseries. Midnight Mass? Yeah. And uh, they're all on Netflix. And if you haven't seen them, what's wrong with you? They are fantastic. If you want to be, like, scared, um, entertained, I mean, mostly jump scares, but if you want to be, like, uh, startled. Do you want to be entertained? Entertained, <laughs> but also have your heart ripped out and cry because it's touching. What, Midnight Mass? You're still, you're still talking about that, right? No, I haven't started watching it yet. I just keep meaning to. Oh. I'm, talking, I'm talking about Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. They're oh, both. yes. You're just They're not both. watching those? No, I watched them when they came out years ago. I'm just saying that the guy who did Midnight Mass also did those. Oh, I think you cut off for a second. Or I cut out. I don't know. I probably zoned out for a second. I just missed that part. Okay. Well, we're, we're all up to stuff. We're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah, we're all back together now. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... I have, I'm like gonna sound also like a snob here. I'm like, I've been hesitating watching it because I love uh, the Hunting of Hill Hoss book so much. I'm like, oh, will I like the show? I don't know. Um, so the show has. Very I know it little, has nothing to do with it, but it has very. It doesn't really have anything to do with it. It just takes the um, concept of the evil house. Yeah. And runs with it. And it makes it something entirely its own that is worth watching. It has its own, like, mythos, and it's deeply moving, and it's really well done. And you can also play the game where you look in the background and find all the hidden ghosts. <laughs> there's lots of them, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I, I never read the books, so I can't I really compare it. I have a copy of Shirley Jackson's novel, and I mean, it's it's good. It's a classic horror novel. If you like horror novels, you should totally read it. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate this. It's its own thing. Yeah, the, now, the book um, is very good. Uh, there's a lot of, like, um, ambiguity about whether or not the haunting is actually happening. It's it's yeah. a lot of, like, psychological stuff. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um, I will say this. The other season, uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor, it's actually really, it's actually pretty close to what happens in James Joyce's The Turn of the Screw. Yes. Mm. Yes. So, it's, it actually follows that fairly closely. So yeah. I, I, I would give it a go. It's pretty good. They're both, they're both really good, and they have a lot of the same actors. Including the little boy who was in E.T. I don't know what his actual name is. <laughs> I have to look it up. 
Yeah, and then there's the movie The Uninvited. Right? That's it? No, no, not The Uninvited. Uh, the one that's based off Turning of the Screw. It's very good. It's like oh, British. Oh, The Innocents? Yes, that one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, that, I haven't that seen it. I've read the book. Good. I haven't seen it. What the There's, fuck? Oh, it came out from the 50s, and so yeah. it's kind of like a classic now. Oh, um, okay. But there are a bunch of films that There's are adaptations lot, yeah. of Turn of the Screw. Like, there's one that came out, like, two years ago from, with the guy from, um, or I think it came out last summer, the, the kid from uh, Stranger Things, Finn... Oh, Wolfhard. Wolfhard. Yeah, the turning. Yeah, that's that's the about the turn of the screw. The turning. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, like uh, there's a lot of adaptations. Honestly, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, I knew there's the turning of the screw. I just the movie from really like sixties. Really like that fifties one though. It's so yeah, good. the innocence I would say is probably the best adaptation. I might get some backlash there, but that's my opinion. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, guys, we're going to be doing... I don't think we're going to be announcing the title yet, but we're going to be doing an infamous French case in October uh, with a excellent French film that kind of... Uh, by one of the directors that kind of kicks off the... Uh, extremism movement in France, the new French extremism. Um, the film is not actually a part of the new French extremism, but uh, Claire Dennis uh, has a couple of, of films that do fit into those categories. Um, yeah, so we're excited to do that. And I don't know what else we're going to do in October, but I promise we'll bring you something awesome and spooky and interesting. And yeah, do you have anything to add, Morgan? Uh, no, but uh, it's spooky time, betches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, it's fall, guys. y'all. It's yeah. fall, y'all. <laughs> oh my God! Can I just add the the most recent episode of last week tonight with John Oliver has a compilation of like local newscasters all saying it's fall y'all oh god (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing i love that show (laughs) all right guys we're gonna head out um see you in october yeah Yeah, thank y'all for having me on here it's been a lot of fun yes thank you for coming we're so glad to have you it was great to nerd out and have epiphanies on literary scandals with you yeah, y'all totally yes. nerded out. I'm, like, in the dark over here. <laughs> uh, once you're in the know, you will nerd out about it for a while, too. I know. I, it is a hell of a rabbit hole. I was going to watch TV, but now I think I'm going to go down this, uh, like, rabbit hole of all this stuff from this yeah, book I read. Um, live text me this shit. I want to know your thoughts. <laughs> I will. Okay. All right. Well, this... Uh, Yeah, we're going to go, guys. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.